0: And allow us to see things the way you see them And allow us to uh, take away the things you want us to take away Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are We thank you for this season Heavenly Father, I I just pray that as we continue on in this season That each and every person here, myself included um, Will remember the reason for this season And that is um, Jesus Christ And um, I just pray that Jesus is revealed throughout the community um, um, Throughout throughout the world And um, we thank you for it in your precious name, amen all right, turn to Revelation chapter 17. And Revelation, as we've been talking about, we are pretty much done with the timeline um, of the tribulation. We, we've finished those seven years. Tonight we're going to be hitting chapter 17. We're really going to drop anchor in 17 because chapter 18 is more of a lamentation. Or, um, so we'll be talking about both 17 and 18 tonight. Um, and 17 and 18 are one of those parenthetical um type sections in Revelation where it sort of stops and goes and explains about something that was happening in the tribulation. And then as soon as we start out with 19, we'll go we'll start flying again chronologically um, as John did it. I remember uh, several years ago um we were traveling down south and um we had an opportunity and a lot of times when we travel we'll turn on the radio on Sunday mornings and, and um, listen to some of the um, um preachers that are on there and I remember this one time we were listening on the radio um, ...to the southern preacher, and I, I love the southern preachers, and this guy was definitely, definitely into it. And he was telling a story, a, a true-life story, about what happened to him. And he was um, he was in an airport, and he was just um, traveling somewhere. And so he was sitting down in the airport, minding his own business, as you're supposed to do in an airport. And all of a sudden, um, this woman came up to him. And now, he, now granted, he's traveling alone. He's a pastor. Um, and he's actually a fairly famous pastor down south... And he was sitting in the airport, and this woman came up to a beautiful woman and started talking to him, and um, the first couple moments were pleasant and just um, introductions, and then all of a sudden, he started sensing something, and sure enough, this woman started coming on to him, and it seems that she had recognized him, and he's not in his normal city, and and so she started doing it. And much to her chagrin, as she's coming onto this pastor, he stands up in the middle of a crowded airport, points his finger at her and starts yelling, Whore of Babylon! Whore of Babylon! As loud as he could throughout the whole airport. Whore of Babylon! She freaks out, as most of us would, and just runs. And he sat back down and started reading again. And someone came up to him and said, what, what's wrong? What's wrong? And, and he said, "I figured I would embarrass sin before sin embarrassed me." And, <laughs> and, and that always stuck with me. Whore of Babylon, and and, and so tonight we're going to talk about the whore of Babylon and this whole this whole idea of the prostitute um, and the beast. So um, we're going to go ahead and, and do this in a couple different sections here. Let's start um, seventeen chapter or chapter seventeen verse 1 it says one of the seven angels who had been or who had the seven bowls came and said to me come i will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits by many waters with her the kings of the earth commit, committed adultery and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with uh, abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. The name written on her forehead was a mystery, Babylon the Great the mother of prostitutes, and the abomination of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. Then I saw her and was greatly astonished. Let's go ahead and finish 17. Then the angel said to me, Why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and the beast she rides with or which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast which you saw was once, now is not, and yet will come up out of the abyss and go to its destruction. The inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast because it once was, now is not, and yet will come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are the seven hills on which the woman sits. They are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come. But when he does come, he must remain for only a little while. The beast, who once was and now is not, is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but who who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. They will wage war against the lamb, but the lamb will triumph over, over them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers." The angel said to me, "The waters you saw where the prostitute sits are peoples, multitudes, nations and languages. The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. they will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put into her hearts or into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to hand over the beast um, the beast their royal authority, until God's words are fulfilled. The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. All right, that's simple. We can just cruise through that. Um, how many of you think that's a little confusing? Okay. So as you read through that, um, it, it reads like um, something Batman would read from the Riddler, uh, or something Indiana Jones would have to decipher to make sure he doesn't fall off a chasm or something like that. That this chapter is one of the most confusing chapters in all the Bible. And here's how we know it's confusing. There are probably at least 10 translations of this chapter, all from Bible-believing, God-fearing, well-respected men that are totally opposite of each other. So, as we go through this tonight, as we've been saying throughout, we're not going to really be dogmatic about the translation of this. I'm going to walk through it, I'm going to explain some possibilities of these meanings. Um, but the one key thing is, and it mentions it, it's a mystery. And anytime the Bible says this is a mystery, means it's probably not one of those things that's going to be easy to figure out. In fact, as we look at a lot of prophecy, prophe- prophecy is more easily understood after it's been fulfilled. You look back on it and go, duh, that's what it meant. Oh, this is obvious. And it helps to validate something that has happened. But you get on the other side of it and you're like, what does that mean? A lot of prophecies leading up to the birth of Christ, if you read them on this side of of his birth, you're going, wow. Okay, so he's going to be doing this, but this is going to... Afterwards, you look at it and go, oh, yeah. Okay, that's exactly what happened. That makes sense. And so I think a lot of these, especially in this, we're going to be up in heaven going, oh, that was cool, okay? Because I didn't get it when I was on earth. Um, So let's go back and look at um, the first couple verses here. One of the seven angels, now one of the seven angels, remember um, at the end of tribulation, we've got the last series of judgments, okay? So we had the seven seals, and within the seven seals, we had what? The seven Trumpets. And then after, uh, and the seventh trumpet, we had the seven bowls or vials, okay? So this is one of the seven angels that was pouring out one of the bowls. One of the seven angels who had had the seven bowls came and said to me, come, I will show you the punishment or judgment would be another word for that, of the great prostitute, some of your um, translations would say whore or harlot, who sits by many waters, now we talked about anytime the Bible talks about a great sea or a great it typically means a people. It's typically referring to nations or people, and this is actually explained a little further on in the text. That's exactly what this is referring to. Verse 2. With her king with her, the kings of the earth committed adultery. And the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Let's keep going because we'll explain what it means by the adulteries in a sec. Then the angel carried me away into a spirit or into the spirit into a wilderness. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names that had seven heads and ten horns. Okay, so where have we heard that before? Remember we talked about the two beasts that came out of the waters or out of the nations? Okay, one had... Set uh, Seven heads, remember that? Okay, so this is referring back to that. So we saw that in chapter 13, I believe. Okay, and so we're, we're coming right back to this beast. Had the blasphemous names, the seven heads and the ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She held a cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the, f- and the filth of her adulteries. The name written on her forehead was a mystery, okay? Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes, and the abominations of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus." A lot of times, oftentimes, blood and wine are synonymous. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. So here's John. He's been taken in the spirit, and which, basically saying here, he's going to see another vision. He sees this beast, and he sees this prostitute. This prostitute who had, who was a, this this mother of all prostitutes basically who had committed adultery with who the nations okay and so let's keep going because it's going to ex- start to explain itself a lot of times we would we prefer to allow the bible to translate the bible so here we go then the angel said to me why are you so astonished okay and so john was astonished he apparently saw something that caught him off guard okay I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast she rides, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast which you saw once was, now is not, and yet will come up out of the abyss and go to its destruction. The inhabitants of the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world, will be astonished when they see the beast, because it once was Now is not, and yet will come. So the inhabitants of the earth whose name does not appear in the book of life, okay? We remember that if your name appears in the book of life, that means you have eternal salvation, okay? You will be in heaven together with Christ for all eternity. If your name was found not to be written in the book of life, the opposite is true. You will have eternal separation from God for all eternity. Now, here's something that that maybe you didn't catch. When were their names written in the book of life? Let's look at it. The inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world. Some of your translations might say the foundation of the world. So when, when did your name get written in the book of life? When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Or from the very beginning of time? Well, this one passage seems to be the clearest indication in all the Bible that your name was written at the very beginning beginning of time, when the foundations of the world were laid. So, there's two thoughts on this. The Reformed thought is, there you go. You were chosen. Okay, you were chosen. From the beginning of time. So God chose you to be saved. Others would say, no, God wrote your name at the beginning of time because he foreknew you would choose him. Okay? But either way, we do understand that people's names were written in the book of life at the very beginning of time. Verse 9. This calls for a mind with wisdom. All right. So basically it's saying, stop and put your thinking hat on. Okay? Wisdom biblically means to see things the way God sees them. So what he's about to say, and what he's already said, is the only way to truly understand this is to be God. Okay? You've got to have wisdom to be able to understand this. Okay? This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. Now, who's the woman? The prostitute. They are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come. But when he does come, he must remain for only a little while. Okay, let's, let's stop there. The seven heads are seven hills, some of your translations might say seven mountains, on which the woman sits. So, as we look at this, we see seven hills. And immediately people go, okay, okay, this woman, which is symbolic, by the way, This woman sits upon seven hills. Well, that's got to be Rome. This has got to be alluding to Rome. Um, That is a possibility. That is one of the possibilities. But we also need to keep in mind Jerusalem was also built on seven hills. So it could very well be Jerusalem as well that this is referring to. However, the more probable reference here, and I'll read it again, The seven heads are the seven hills on which the woman sits. They are also seven kings. Five have fallen. One is and one has yet to come. Okay? I believe that this is not talking about literal hills or mountainsides. Because what does it say? The seven hills are also what? Seven kings, or that's synonymous with kingdoms. I believe this is referring to a chronological prophecy of kingdoms. Very much like we see in Daniel chapter 7 and 8. Okay? So, five have fallen. Okay? Five kingdoms have fallen. So, let's look at the, the kingdoms that were associated with, with God's people. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia or Medo-Persia, and Greece. All five of those had fallen. Those also go parallel with what we see in Daniel chapter 7 and 8. And also a little bit with Daniel chapter 2. So five have fallen. One is, as John is writing this, which one is? Rome. And one is yet to come. I believe that's talking about the tribulational kingdom. Okay? Now, some people think that's a reference to England. And the United States, I don't believe so, but the French are still holding on to that. But I, I, I don't believe that's true. And basically, what happens is um, a lot of times when you look at Revelation or you look at prophecy and you see see something evil, you try to you try to pinpoint that on the current evil of the day. And for years, oh, it's got to be the the English Empire, or it's got to be, and you see this with the Antichrist too. Well, the Antichrist is obviously Barack Obama or the Antichrist is obviously George W. Bush or it's obviously the Pope or it's obviously... And a lot of times we get in trouble when we try to, when we try to interpret the Bible with a newspaper in the other hand, okay? So we've got to be really careful with that, right? So we look at this and the most common translation of this is that the seven heads are, are seven hills of which the woman sits are actually kingdoms, Okay? Verse 11, the beast who once was and now is not is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. Okay, this is a confusing verse. And I'm going to be honest, I I honestly don't really know what it means. And as I've studied, uh, there's a lot of different angles. If I could tell you which way I'm leaning, I believe, and let's read it again, the beast who once was, and now is not, is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. Well, when we look at the beast, the one with seven heads and ten and ten horns with ten crowns on it, when we look at chapter 13, that was a reference to the Antichrist. Okay, So I believe this is also a reference to the Antichrist, and probably a reference to the fact that the Antichrist was in power. He died, or at least... It looked like he died. We don't believe he actually did die. And then he had some kind of fake um, resurrection. So he once was, now is not, you know, that whole thing. And then he becomes the eighth king. So he's part of the seventh, which again was the world or the, the empire to come. And it seems to divide the tribulation. It seems to divide the beginning when he was in power, then when he wasn't, and then when he came back. And the final piece is what leads him into destruction. Again... Can't be dogmatic on that, but if I had to lean, that's probably which way I would lean on that. Verse 12. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. Okay, so we talked about the seven chronological empires or kingdoms or the the mountains. Then we see the ten. Okay, the ten have yet to come. So this is not talking about something that's historic or something that is current, but it is affiliated and it even talks about it rules along with the beast. This most likely is this one world government, this tenfold kingdom that is going to have a short rule with the authority of the beast in the end times. Verse 13. They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. They will wage war against the lamb, but the lamb will triumph over them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And with him will be his called, chosen and faithful followers. Then the angel said to me, the waters you saw where the prostitute sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. Again, it explains itself. The beast is... And the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will, they will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to hand over um, to the beast their royal authority until God's words are fulfilled. And here's, here's the mystery verse 18 The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. Whew. Okay. So, we've got the beast that comes out with the seven horns or seven heads which we believe is the five that are ...that are down, that have fallen... ...are the five ancient empires... ...the one that's current is Rome... ...and the one that returns is the tribulational... ...or the one that is in the future is the tribulational. We know the ten crowns, we believe... ...is the ten kingdoms or the kings... Um, ...that will be part of this one world alliance... ...that will have give, be given authority from the beast to rule. They will go after the woman. It appears that this woman... ...this prostitute, this harlot is the one-world religious system, religion. Now, we got to understand who this is, and the best way to understand what religious system this is would be to understand, well, what is this great city? I believe there are three possibilities, and I'll tell you which one I lean towards. The first possibility, the great city, um, the great Babylon, well, that would seem to indicate Babylon, which is modern-day Baghdad. Another translation we already talked about a little bit on um, the seven hills, um, Rome. And basically, a lot of people think, well, um, Rome, this is the return of the Holy Roman Empire in the end times. Another translation would be the great city, which is Jerusalem, which, by the way, is also um, built on seven hills. Again, I don't think it really matters to us which one's true. Um, I would say the least likely of that is Baghdad, okay? Because when it's talking about Babylon, it's not referring to a specific place. Um, The great city, Rome is never referred to as the great city. Jerusalem, however, is. And if we look at the context of what we've already read in Revelation, Jerusalem is the centerpiece, not Rome not Baghdad, Jerusalem's the centerpiece. It's Jerusalem's where the Antichrist sets up his image and causes the abomination that causes desolation. So I believe, and again, can't be dogmatic, I believe that the great city is Jerusalem. So then what is the harlot that is associated with um, this great city? Okay? Again, being that I don't think it's Rome, I don't think even though this is a common interpretation, I don't think this is the Catholic Church. Okay? When Rome has been posited as the city, the great city, a lot of people said this is obviously the Catholic Church. And by the way, the Pope is the Antichrist. And that's typically what you, what you would hear. And this was more popular when Rome was the power of the world. Back in the time of Luther, it, when you would read this, you would go, yes got to be Rome it's got to be the Catholic Church they're so oppressive they're so evil I honestly don't think it's the Catholic Church okay now some credence maybe to that um, after the rapture happens there will be religious systems that will still be intact okay now I'm not saying that Catholics will not be raptured again. Because you're Catholic doesn't mean you're Christian, and because you're Catholic doesn't mean you're not a Christian. Being a Christian means you have confessed with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That is what will save you. When the rapture happens, there will be some people in the purple seats as well. So, okay, so I, I honestly don't believe it's the Catholic Church. I don't believe Islam is also the great harlot, even though I guess you could make some... But I, I don't think that, that is it. I think as we look at the great city, I honestly do think the great city that it's talking about is, is Jerusalem. And I don't think it's Judaism. But I think as we look into, into um, Revelation we see a lot of compelling things. We've talked about the 144,000. We've talked about how Israel now becomes a focal point again because the church has been raptured out. So Israel does become a focal point, and and it indicates that a lot of um, people out of Israel, out of the tribes, will accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And it does seem to indicate that um, as you look back at the history of the world, this great harlot has committed adultery okay so where we get the term adultery for what what is adultery when you break your commitment okay when you break your commitment so if if you are married to someone and you break that that that, that's adultery the catholic church never had a covenant with god islam has never had a covenant with god god's people have had a covenant with god and throughout the Old Testament, we see over and over and over again how God's people, who God had planned or who God put in a position to where they could actually rule the world. There was a time during Solomon's reign where kings and queens and were coming from all over the world to sit under his teaching. Israel had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to take lead. Instead, they prostituted themselves to other kingdoms, to other gods, and they allowed Baal, and they allowed all these things that the Bible was explicit, saying, do not allow this to happen. And over and over again, we see Israel fall because they committed adultery. They broke their covenant, okay? So when we look at this final world order, and it's talking about this this prostitute, there is that notion that, yeah, this could refer to Israel. This could refer to the fact that these people have, again, committed, committed adultery or um, basically accepted all religions instead of focused in on, the, on, on God. Okay? So, again, in the end times, it's hard to figure out exactly who this is, but it seems to indicate this is a one-world religion that has allowed all other religions, and we sort of see this starting to build, okay? We've seen this big push in the world right now to, you know what? Don't go all after Islam. Don't go all after Buddhism. Don't go all after—bring them all together. Let's co exist, it seems to indicate that in the end times, there will be a, not only will there be a one world government, but there will also be a one world religion that basically prostitutes itself. It allows others to come in. So that seems to be what that that would be a reference to. But again, Chapter 17, and there's a reason why it says um, this calls for a mind with wisdom. Anytime you talk about something that's a mystery, it's not going to be easily under, understood. But I, I think that that's probably where I lean to. Um, I just, again, I, I'm very cautious about putting modern-day newspaper headlines into the book of Revelation. Now, Grant, if the rapture happens tomorrow, then some modern-day news headlines will apply. Okay. But we do know that Hitler's no longer the antichrist so again we got to be we've got to be patient on that all right so let's look at, at ver, chapter eighteen and chapter eighteen really is more it's more of a lamenting um over the fall of Babylon so after this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had, a, he had great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. With a mighty voice, he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling for demons, and a haunt for every impure spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable animal, for all the nations have have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries the kings of the earth committed adultery with her and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries then i heard another voice from heaven say come out of her my people so that you will not share in her sins so that you will not receive any of her plagues for her sins are piled up to heaven and god has remembered her crimes Give back to her as she has given. Pay her, pay her back double for what she has done. Pour her a double portion from her own cup. Give her as much torment and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. In her heart she boasts, I sit enthroned as queen. I am not a widow. I will never mourn. Therefore, in one day her plagues will overtake her death, mourning, and famine, she will be consumed by fire, for mighty is the Lord God who judges. So again, this is just talking about the final death of Babylon, okay? Not a literal Baghdad, but the final death of this prostitute. And anytime you see twofold, it's just referring to the complete and utter judgment Verse 9: When the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury um, see the smoke of her burning, they will weep and mourn over her, terrified at her torment. They will stand far off and cry, Woe, woe to you, great city, you mighty city of Babylon, in one hour your doom has come. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, and scarlet cloth, every sort of citron wood, and articles of every kind of ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cargoes of cinnamon and spice and incense, myrrh and frankincense, of wine and olive oil, and fine flour and wheat. Cattle and sheep, horses and carriages, and human beings sold as slaves. They will say, the fruit you longed is gone from you. All your luxury and splendor have vanished, never to be recovered. The merchants who have sold things and gained their wealth... From her will stand far off, terrified at her torment. They will weep and mourn and cry out, Woe, woe to you, great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. In one hour, such great wealth has been brought to ruin. Every sea captain and all who travel by ship, the sailors and all who earn their living from the sea will stand far off. When they see the smoke of her burning, they will exclaim, "Was there ever a city like this great city?" They will throw dust off, or dust on their heads, and with weeping and mourning cry out, "Woe, woe to you, great city, where all, or where all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth. In one hour, she has been brought to ruin. Rejoice over her, you." you heavens. Rejoice, you people of God. Rejoice, apostles and prophets, for God has judged her with the judgment she opposed on you. Wow. So here we have this great city. We just transported into this this end time, tribulational moment. Where this great one world order, this one world religion, who had everything, had all the power, all the riches, all the blood on its hands from all the martyrs, who was proud, who was arrogant, all of a sudden, in short notice, it will be no more. What was once rich will have nothing this mark of the beast that could, that could allow you to buy was now worthless there's nothing it's up in smoke people will lament what they thought was true and accurate what they followed what they what they took the mark on what they put everything into was a fraud the religion they thought was so perfect so universal was a fraud And here we see this final judgment of this end times kingdom led by the Antichrist, led by the false prophet, and now it's nothing. It's no more. It's done. The final fall of Babylon. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea and said, With such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. The music of harpists and musicians, pipers and trumpeters, will never be heard in you again. No worker of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a millstone will never be heard um, in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of the bridegroom and bride will never be heard in you again. Your merchants were the world's important people. By your magic spell, all the nations were led astray. In her was found the blood of the prophets and of God's holy people, of all who have been slaughtered on the earth. And with that, we close the tribulation. And with that, we close basically this entire story of this prostitute, this harlot, this satanic world, thought, religion, It's finally done. Babylon is done. And we see in graphic imagery, nothing will survive. Antichrist, you failed. False prophet, you failed. Satan, you lost. It's over. Now imagine John seeing this. And we read earlier on that he was astonished. I honestly think he was astonished to be taken out and seeing this vision of Jerusalem. Going, oh my gosh. Starting next week, starting in chapter 19, we start to hear stuff like this. After this, I heard what sounded like a roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted. And imagine what a heavenly shout would sound like. Hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. From now on, and over the next couple weeks at the mine, we're going to be talking about hallelujah. We're done with this particular segment. The tribulation's done. The second coming will happen. After the second coming, we we will see a thousand years of peace on earth the reign of Christ. And then we'll see a short time where Satan is loosed again to try to trick the nations once again. Now, we'll go into detail who those nations are that he's actually able to trick and who he's not allowed to touch. And then after that, the ultimate hallelujah, Satan is thrown into hell forever and ever. And from that point on, we have eternity with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, pause for a moment and just, and this is really impossible for humans to comprehend because we always have to have a beginning and an end. Think of something that doesn't end. Imagine heaven forever and ever. We don't have words to describe it, there aren't numbers big enough because it's eternal, it's forever. Seven years seems like a long time. This tribulation will be horrible. A hundred years seems like a long time. thousand years, long time. I can't even comprehend a million years. A billion years. A trillion years. Imagine more years than our current debt. I mean, imagine those type of numbers. And it's forever and ever. Again, all this lamenting that we do, and there's a lot to be sad about, and there's a lot to um, to cry about, and there's pain, and there's real pain, and a lot of us in here are dealing with real pain—physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. We're dealing with real stuff. But what I love about Revelation is someday there's going to be hallelujah. Someday there's going to be no more tears. Someday that great dragon, Satan, is going to be no more. Someday there's going to be no more tricks, no more false religions, no more confusion, no more mysteries. There's going to be us and God forever and ever. And when the Bible talks about that this life we live, even if we live a long time, even if we live Like Adam lived, or like Methuselah lived. It's just a blip on the radar screen. The Bible talks about it's just a breath, it's a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. And on a timeline that's eternal, you can't even see it. And so, even though there are some discouraging moments when we look at Revelation, I want to challenge you look at the encouraging moments when there's discouraging moments in your life, I want to challenge you. Look at the encouragements. Realize that someday we're going to be in heaven. And so right now, let's focus on getting the rest of our family in there with us. The rest of our neighborhood in there with us. The rest of this country in there with us. The rest of this world in there with us. All right, so... I'm going to close in prayer and then we've got about 15 minutes to, to attempt to answer questions. Hopefully I didn't confuse you more than when you walked in. Uh, let's pray. Dear Holy Father, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you that you loved us. You knew us before time. You love us with everything that is you. You know every hair on our head. You knit us together in our mother's womb. The Bible says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And Heavenly Father, we thank you for that. We thank you that you see us for who we are and not what the mirror might say, not what other people might say. You see us as princesses and warriors. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your patience. I thank you that you gave us your son so we could be spared the wrath, the punishment that we deserved. Heavenly Father, I thank you for salvation. I thank you for this season that we are in that is supposed to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ when God became flesh and dwelled among us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your unbelievable love. I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you that my sins, that our sins will never be seen again. Heavenly Father, I pray for each and every one of us in here. Give us encouragement. Give us joy. Give us perseverance. Give us peace. Heavenly Father, give us the wisdom to see things the way you see them. Give us the wisdom to see ourselves. Give us the wisdom to see our situations. Give us the wisdom to see our finances. Give us the wisdom to see our family. Give us the wisdom to see our employer. Give us the wisdom to see our employees. Give us the wisdom to see everybody the way you see them. To see every situation the way you see them. And give us the encouragement to know that someday we will be singing with the loudest voice we can. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Heavenly Father, we love you. It's in your precious name we pray, amen. All right, questions? Yes. Sorry. There we go. I guess I shouldn't just leave this open. Um, during the thousand year millennium, uh-huh. Is that I? I remember in a prior Bible study that, unless I'm remembering wrong, that um, we will be allowed to come from heaven to earth for those thousand years. As we, you can just go back and forth. Is that true? Yeah. Well, uh, it depends on um, who the we is. All night. Yeah. Yeah. But I, um, the thousand year millennium um, it is coming. Okay. And it will be. We go from now to the question mark, whenever the rapture happens, we got that seven-year period, and then at the end of the seven years, we have the second coming of Jesus, okay? Okay, from that point on, you'll see that reference to the separating of the sheep and the goats, okay? We will have, from that point on, a thousand-year millennium, a thousand-year reign with Christ. Um, The Bible talks about how we, as believers, will reign with Christ, Okay, now I'm not going to steal all the thunder from next week, but there is going to be a group of people that are ushered into the millennium as well. And there is going to be a group of people that Satan is allowed to go and try to trick. Um, I believe that will not be us, even if we are wearing Michigan shirts or, okay, that will not be us. Okay, but um, so that, that's what that is. And so our role, I'll get into more next week about exactly what um, Christians are doing in the millennium. But yeah, you're, you're, you're pretty close on that. I had a question uh, back in uh, chapter 17, uh, verse um, 14, where it says they will wage war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will triumph over them because he's the Lord of Lord and King of kings. And in that passage there is this present tense and uh, where the, um, the ten kings have the power for a time and authority to wage war against the Lamb. Well, if we're looking at this in terms of a timeline, The body of Christ has been raptured. So what is this referring to in terms of verse 14? Okay, so let's go back a little bit into context as you were doing. Um, Verse 12, the ten horns you saw are the ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. So this is talking about the world system that has authority um, towards the end of the tribulation from the beast. Um, They have one purpose and will give and will give their power and authority to the beast. They will wage war against the Lamb. Okay, who's the Lamb? Jesus. But the Lamb will triumph over them because he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. What that is a reference to is the second coming. This is a reference to the very, very end of the tribulation. They are going to make one last stand, the battle of Armageddon. It's not much of a battle. It's just basically you're done. Um, Jesus will come down, followed with what I believe would be the saints coming down with him, and that's that's what that's referring to. Okay. Yes. I, I don't understand what happens to the people that died before Jesus came, if how are they judged? Before Jesus came. Right, they didn't get that opportunity to choose Jesus. They died before he came. So what happens to the first to that? coming? 2,000 years ago when he came? No, the, the people that died before that. How are they? under, under so the, They're not part of the new covenant. Okay, okay. Okay, so the people that died, died before in the Old Testament. Okay, so basically everything that happens as far at, on earth um, ultimately points to the cross. For us we're pointing back to the cross. So right now if you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you confess it with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. That means he's God, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you'll be so we're pointing back to the cross, okay? And so that's how we receive salvation today. What you're referring to is those that died before the cross or before the knowledge of the cross. They pointed to the cross. They didn't understand the full mystery of that. They didn't understand the full revelation of that. So what happened in the Old Testament was there was a a temporary sacrificial system. And so when when you would sacrifice animals and use the blood um, um, to cleanse the sins, that was a temporary sacrifice that pointed to the fact that I am doing this because I believe that someday, as Scripture promised, the Messiah will come. And from that point on... Um, he will save. So anybody who died before that, they were judged based on that system. Okay. Yep. Yes. Uh, yes, sir. Along this same line, uh, how, do, how would those Old Testament saints have a feeling that they were believers? Uh, David, for example, he knew he was going to see his son again someday. mm mm-hmm. uh, we're assured of that because the holy spirit is living with this, and and we have that assurance. Mm-hmm. How did they know? Uh they they sacrificed one day and the next day uh were they saying, well, I you know, I don't know. Yeah, I think I mean I, I think it honestly was different and when we talk about old testament types of of salvation, um, again we we can't be fully um Sure on that, but as they would do the sacrificial system, as they were um, living according, they were righteous. They were living according to God's law. Um, they had that belief in God's prom- promise and His covenant with them that um, that if they followed Him and they died, they they would be saved. Okay. However, in the Old Testament, there was obviously the opportunity to walk away from a walk away from that. So it was more of a you need to keep living. Holy and righteous. On this side of the cross, we have assurance that once we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, as Ephesians says, the Spirit is deposited in us and seals us. And so, to use some churchy words, we have been justified means the penalty of our sin has been taken care of. That means. no more can the sin be held against us. The penalty has been wiped out. Now, today we have this big word called sanctification, which means we need to be sanctified. It doesn't save us from the penalty of sin, but when we come to God um, daily um, and ask for forgiveness and, and keep on God's path, we're, we're called what's sanctified. And I think that's similar to how it was in the, old, in the Old Testament, that you needed to stay basically on God's path. So it is different. They did not have... Have the Holy Spirit indwell in them as post Jesus or post cross Christians would have. So it was more of a it was more of a day to day. You need to be living according to God's plan and according to the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. Yes, sir. Ma'am. Okay. Yes, my question is, um, and you may have already covered this in a previous week that we weren't able to attend. Okay. Um, my understanding is that once the church is removed from the planet, the Holy Spirit goes with the church. Mm-hmm. Does this mean, then, that no one can be saved during the tribulation? Okay. What it's, what it's referring to is, yes, the spirit or um, the restrainer has been taken away, which allows the man of lawlessness to take to take root. So that's the main passage that we look at to, that we believe. Again, there are other beliefs that say the rapture happens at the end or, or whatever, but we believe um, that the rapture happens at the beginning, so the Spirit's taken away and the believers go with Him. That doesn't mean the Spirit has no presence in the earth. Because again, we believe um, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are God. Okay? And God is not only all powerful, but He's all present, so He can't ever be taken out of anywhere. God is always present so the spirit will be present in the tribulation just like he was present um, in the Old Testament however he will not have an indwelling work um, with the church like he has currently if that makes sense if they could be saved. oh and default and so could people be saved yes but again in the tribulation I believe now we're referring back to the Old Testament type. You've got to die believing in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've got to be living that life. Any other questions? Yes, sir. So during the rapture or... Before the rapture, if somebody dies today and the rapture is next week, they're not raptured until the rapture. They yes. don't go to heaven until then. Correct. Yes. Well, they're not. They're not raptured. But the dead, the dead in Christ. So if they're a believer, uh-huh. will rise first. Right. right along That's with what that. I thought. Okay. Yep. Just want to confirm. Yeah. Yeah, that would be lame. You die and are you kidding me? I just missed it. <laughs> It'd be like a two-point conversion that just failed. <laughs> yeah, th- this is this is one of those ESPN commercials. If it wasn't for sports, that wouldn't have been so mean. But <laughs> All right, any other questions? All right, let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. And Heavenly Father, um, I just pray that in all of this, as we read through Revelation, as we read through your word, that ultimately we see the, the purpose of your word, and that's to reveal Jesus Christ. And Heavenly Father, as we look at Revelation, we see the revealing of the Lord of Lord, the King of Kings, the I Am. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, for those in here. We thank you for the opportunity to live in a country that allows us to do what we do tonight. And we thank you for those who came before us that gave us that freedom to do that. Heavenly Father, I pray for the next couple weeks as we close out this amazing book, um, continue to give us your wisdom to see things exactly how you see them. Heavenly Father, give us the wisdom to focus on the things that need to be focused on and and to maybe put aside some of the things that aren't quite as important. Heavenly Father, we love you. Um, We thank you for this season. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you guys for coming next week. Remember, angel trees out there. Grab some of those tags. Don't leave those trees bare. All right. Bye-bye.